Well, for more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Barris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we're going to be talking about proper project initiation. So, Ed, you've been looking forward to this. Proper project initiation. Lots of P's. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, is it possible to build uh, a firm structure without a solid foundation? No. <laughs> well, and I actually, guess that's kind of the essence it, of this, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you you can build a firm structure. It's just gonna. It's it's eventually just gonna wash away. Right. Yeah. That is the, that is the essence of it. That there's that that there is a lot of stuff that happens in a project that is that which is unseen to to. Uh, Harken back to our economic stuff from Bastiat, but that uh, really need to need to take place uh, in order to make sure that you've got a, a really good project and are going are going to have a, a greater chance for success. Right, and and I know you, you've done a project management show before. We've we've had some discussion where you kind of went over the basics, but I guess maybe we should start there again just as a refresher. Yeah, for for those folks that are just listening to this episode and and did not hear that one, and at, really, Ron, we went out of order because it's such a popular topic to talk about project scoping, right? And that people are are really into that. So I think that's why we did that that show first. If if there is such a an order, but it, it, the reality is is that initiation is really where projects begin. But just just to get everybody up to speed, so we're using the same terminology as we move through the course of this this episode. I want to first in, define project for everyone, and I, I like to use the Project Management Institute's definition. I think it's it's a good one. It's as good as any, and it's probably the one that's most ubiquitous. That, that when you see project defined, you'll see it done this way. And that is this. It, a project is a temporary endeavor undertaken to create a unique product, service, or result. And, and the two words that I always try to emphasize with people when defining a project that way is temporary. Right? Projects are not supposed to go on forever. Although there, I think there are some 30-year governmental projects, Ron, so that should give you some indication. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, exactly. Their definition of temporary and our definition of temporary is probably very different. Um, And then the other word that's important, I think, is unique, right? That every single project, by definition, is unique. And I think this is especially important for professionals in their conversations that they have with customers because oftentimes, uh, because professionals do 
similar things repetitively in some way, and let's take the example of a, an accountant doing a tax return or a, an architect doing drawings for a building or a uh, ad, ad uh, agency do, creating a campaign for an ad, right? And, and we do those things over and over again. And our customers tend to then come back to us and say, but you know, haven't you ever done this before? Why, why do you need to go through all of this you know, initiation piece and planning? You, don't you know what you're doing? And the answer is yes. And the key is to understand that every single one of them, even though they are similar, and, but one, one 1040 is not like somebody else's 1040. I mean, I'm sure you can attest to that, Ron. I, I've actually only done my 1040, but you've done other people's. <laughs> um, yes, I can And I'm sure, sure no two are exactly the same, and just the different combinations of things that come together make that, that absolutely almost impossible for it to be. Yep. And, and that's what struck me, Ed, when I, when I heard you first say this definition, the, the exact same words hit me, temporary and unique. And, and that's exactly, I mean, professionals can relate to that, even though I've never heard it or even thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. That's like, yeah, that makes total sense. Everything we do is a temporary endeavor, and it's completely unique. Mm-hmm. Yep, you know, and that, that is not to say that we can't learn from things that we've done in the past. Of course we can, Right. But there, st- there still is there still is the fact that by definition these things are unique, and even one person's tax return last year is not going to be the same as this year. So it's going to be different, and just sure. just by by virtue of the fact that the tax code changes, right? <laughs> and and the other thing I like about your definitions here, or, or maybe it's PMI's definitions, but yeah. you also say that projects are not process, right? And, Can you explain and this that? Is, yeah, this is this is kind of it, it's weird because then I you got to loop it back in and say but projects have process. But let me start with projects are not process. And the, the 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 reason why we can say that is one way to identify something inside an organization as a project is that there is not a standardized process for it within the company. I mean, let's face it, most organizations whether they're you know lean six sigma guru ninja turtles or whatever they 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 all do have a a, a standard set of processes that they do on some kind of a repetitive basis right mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's you know uh, making making widgets or clocks or whatever uh, or their sales process the manufacturing process even in a sense you have these little micro processes that, like answering the phone right you might have a standard way that the organization answers the phone. Um, try to pick it up on two rings, etc. So that every organization is made up of dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of these repetitive processes that happen over and over again. Even though it might not even happen once a year, like inventory valuation or physical count might be something that only happens once a year. But there's a process for it, right? Right. Um, what is what is different? What makes a project different is that. It, there's there is not really a process for it within the organization. So this hence my background, and I apologize for those non IT people out there, but I'm going to be using a lot of IT examples today because that's my background. The, the implementation of a new accounting system in an organization, I, I, I don't know any organization that has a standard process for that. In fact, I if if you if you know of one, I, that would scare me. Right? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, we implement a new accounting system every couple of years just because we like it. What the hell? <laughs> All right. 
So, so projects are not processed. And it's, it's really good to have that as an understanding because that way people can recognize, oh, yes, this is, this is a project because I don't have a process for it. And once, once we identify something as a process, okay, boom, that means that the, the project definition kicks in, temporary endeavor undertaken to create a unique product, service, or result. And you know, so all of those things are, it, make it so that we can state clearly, okay, this is a project that we have. Yeah, that, that makes yeah. complete sense because I think there is some confusion about process being used synonymously with, with projects. Correct. Correct. And, and, and they're, they're, I, they're, I think they are two different things. Now, I will say this, though, and, and this is where it gets a little bit confusing. Projects have process. Sure. Does that make sense, right? Absolutely. Oh, inside, inside a project, there are processes that happen over and over again. Right, mm-hmm. and so so that's like a you know a status meeting or something might happen more than once, and and that and that's important. And and then there's this thing called the project life cycle, right? Which is okay. Every project goes through this standard life cycle, and this is the, the again the Project Management Institute. Big shout out to them, PMI.org. If people aren't familiar with that, should take a look. But uh, the life cycle says this, that every project has to have at least three phases. And this is really interesting because uh, you, you, don't, you wouldn't think of it in this terms, but by definition, a project has to have three phases. It has to have an initial phase, which is what we're going to talk about, the balance of the show today. You have to have an, one, at least one intermediate phase, and, but it can be more than one. And then you have to have a final phase, right? So by definition, you have to have three. Now, what's interesting about this is I'll often hear people say, well, we're going to take a phased approach to that project. Well, no kidding. That's redundant. Because mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. by, by definition, a project has phases. What they normally mean by that, a phased approach, is that they actually have more than one project, believe it or not. That's, that's when, when you dig, that's usually what the case is. It's usually that they have three separate projects that they're going to do in some kind of a sequential order. Or they're going to do one piece, then the next, next, next. The classic, this is classically known as the waterfall. Right, mm-hmm. because, if, if you, because the Gantt chart looks like a waterfall, <laughs> right? The water flowing downhill. Ed, in this project life cycle with the three phases, is it mm-hmm. clear when you move out of one phase into another, or is there some <laughs> nuance there? Yeah, there there is some nuance there, and you know it it's it's much less clear in the intermediate phases. With initiation, it actually is pretty clear, and we'll talk about that. Classically, the, what is required to close out a phase is c- completion of all of the activities for that phase, and then then are what known or what is known as the milestones. Now, my, milestones is a weird thing. I actually, when I when I teach the details of project management, kind of avoid talking about milestones because they confuse the crap out of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because uh, what a what a milestone is 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 it, it, you know what well actually non non project management definition Ron what's a milestone <laughs> a point you're trying to reach on your journey well what's a, what's a milestone right it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a point along a road and every every mile there's a marker right right so all a milestone is is just a marker to say okay here's where here's where we are we know we're at mile marker fifteen. Mm-hmm. Right, so a milestone is just those things that we designate as clear 
this is a this is a, a a clear indication of where we are in the project. So they they usually are when we when we complete maybe sometimes a specific objective. And I'm not going to get into objective language today, but the, the those are the kinds of things. But they get they tend to get confusing because people think that you know that that project all projects that need milestones actually really they don't necessarily need them. So I actually avoid talking about them. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because I would imagine if you did have them, you, you would try and identify them as best you could in in this initiation phase. Uh, you know what? And 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 I'm thinking on the fly here. You know, I think that they are probably more important in projects that are of a physical nature, like building a bridge, right? Right? Or a skyscraper. You know, shooting skyscraper. Well, yeah, skyscraper launching a rocket into space. You know, some but but with knowledge work. I think they tend to be more nebulous, so mm-hmm. I think that's that's why I tend to tend to avoid them. But but you're you're right in that there there sometimes is no clear distinction, even in those types of projects, as to as to when one phase ends and one one begins. And oftentimes there is overlap, and there can be, and that's okay. Right. right? Um, there's usually more a clear distinction of when a phase is over even though another phase could have already begun if that makes sense mm-hmm. and then, right. then you've got a graph and we'll take the break and i'll get you to talk maybe a little bit about this because i find this graph really interesting where you talk about mm-hmm. initiation planning executing and controlling yeah and the yeah, estimate range and of time and effort yeah, we're going to drop that on you after the break. It's 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 a concept called progressive elaboration. Listen, that's two SAT words together in a row, right? Wow. Rest, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. Well, Ed, this is great. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. It's kind of like learning a whole new vocabulary. And folks, in the meantime, we'd like to remind you that you can contact Ed or myself at Ask. TSOE at Verisage.com. We we continue to get your emails. You're giving us great suggestions and you're throwing great articles and topics at us. We really truly appreciate that. And make sure you check out full show notes at the soul of enterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're here with one of our project management episodes which mean ed, ed gets to do most of the talking and i just get to <laughs> sit back and listen but uh we're doing proper project initiation, and uh, I'd like to remind you, you can follow the show live at, on Twitter at uh, hashtag AskTSOE, and please follow us on Twitter, the follow the show at AskTSOE. Ask uh, we'd really appreciate that. So, Ed, we, you were going to talk to us about these two SAT words, progressive elaboration. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that fun? <laughs> progressive. But it's actually what it is. It's a characteristic of projects. So projects are said to have the characteristic of being, of being progressively elaborative. Okay. Yep, got <laughs> uh, it. And, and, all that, and all that simply means is, is that as we, as we move through the project, we actually learn more about stuff we didn't know. That's all it means. Right. So it's kind of like a learning curve or yeah, experience it's a, it's, curve. It, it's a learning curve, and 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 the graph, what it, the graph that is presented with with this, uh, shows that when we're in this initiation phase, right, that our original estimate could ha- could deviate as much as uh, an additional seventy five percent from our estimate, all the way down to less minus twenty five percent, right, and that's numbers that's based on the Project Management Institute's long history of all projects everywhere right when when i talked about this there's there's actually some better data from the standish group which is a uh, uh, organization that tracks uh, small and medium business it related projects mm-hmm. what what they what they find is is that the deviation especially on the upside is 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 is, is about fifty percent of the time can be as much as ninety percent or ninety-two wow. percent. Yeah. So what I usually like like to say is that it, with with small and medium business IT related projects, half of them end up costing double the original estimate. Right. Wow. That, <laughs> right? that that's an astonishing statistic. <laughs> it, it is. But it's also one of the reasons why, and I'll link back to our previous shows on having the value conversation about why I think it's important when you do have a value conversation with a customer to make sure that you're, you can uncover at least three times the value of the highest price you will give them. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's, and that's, again, due to this whole notion of, of, of uh, that difference. Now, People say, well, you guys were advocating for a fixed price. How can you do that? And then it ends up costing them more. Yeah, well, the difference is what's called the change request. And we've been through that on, on the previous show where we talked about the change request process. Right? right. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to narrow this, th- this uh, range. In fact, you know, if, you, if you're looking at the graph, and, and Ron, I know you are, but it, 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 for our listeners out there, it, it looks like a reverse hurricane cone. 
<laughs> right. I mean, yep. <laughs> it, it, it's like the invert, you know, those the hurricane comes with hurricane season. It's like, okay, the hurricane's here and here's where it's going to hit. And this is, and they show the deviation, right? Yep. It looks, it's, it's kind of the reverse of that because it, it starts out wide and goes narrow, right? And the, the, what, what this graph, I think, does an excellent representation of is that you must get through initiation and planning before you should begin your pricing overall. And there's got to be a price for the initiation and planning up front. That's what I think that this graph does, is great at, sh- at showing. And that's why we usually say that once you do do proper initiation and proper planning, and we're only going to deal with initiation the rest of this episode – but you'll because you, you'll significantly decrease the probability that you're going to fall into that you know plus ninety percent right, and in fact that's why I say that I comfortably if I get through those two things I can give a price and tell them hey listen what I might want to do is keep ten to twenty percent as a contingency budget for change requests because there is a likelihood that we're going to uncover some stuff right that we still didn't even know about but I I feel pretty confident that it's going to be within. 10 to 20 percent of what of, of the price that we originally talked about right i just i just love that strategy because i mean if if this stat from the standish group is right then yeah you should uh manage the the customer's expectation to put aside some for these you know for these change requests that they're probably most likely going to pop up exactly and i i think it's even best to even build them into the price and we've seen some pricers do that which i think is fascinating right so give a give a top level option where there where there is no change requests Right. right. And, and the other we've just included it in the price. Done. The other point you just made, Ed, too, about the initiation and the planning uh, being priced, uh, this is very high value curve uh, stuff, right? The, these services. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, this is the thing that, get, that gets me. It's probably, in my opinion, the most valuable work that professionals do is, is the actual guidance on initiation and planning. Yet it's the thing that we probably give away <laughs> in many cases, yep. which is uh, absurd. In order right. to quote get in what in order to quote get the business, which is the execu- you know the execution piece where the most hours are. And again, it's one of those inverse proportion because that that you know the, the, again when your stuff began to hit me, you know was it thirteen plus years ago now. That that was the big insight that I had. The aha moment is like, okay, yeah, the the value is actually front loaded, but we price for it back loaded. We actually right. try to make up for the fact that we gave away our most most valuable thing at the very beginning, and trying to make it up on the thing that relatively yeah. the customer values the least. Least right with the pain, which the is the pain, or, right? The yeah. pain of actually doing the execution exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So okay, so you've explained this progressive elaboration. What what's next? Yeah, well, th- then I just want to say that okay, now now that that's kind of the background, and well, we're twenty five minutes in. So, but I, I what, what I now want to talk about is like what is involved in this actual initiation. What when we talk about initiation, what do we mean by that? And 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 I always make it a, a state it this way: initiation is not planning. And and I can't emphasize that point enough because I, I initiation is um, the the analogy that I'll give is this is for the the technology folks out there is the open parenthesis in the Excel function of the project. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, okay. if that 
Do you kind of get that analogy? You probably yes. enough time with Excel, right? So when you when you you hit you know equals, you type the function, and then you have to have this open parentheses, and you also have to have a closed parentheses, otherwise it doesn't work, right? Yep. So the open parentheses is the initiation. It doesn't look like much, but without it, it does the fun, the the, the function is not going to work. Same thing with the close, by the way, which is closing, and perhaps we'll do a show on that at some point. But so the, those two things, they don't look like much, but without them. It's not going to happen. It, it's not good. So, Ed, just to you talk always about uh, Eisenhower, you know, a lot in, in D Day, right? You call him the best yeah. project manager of the 20th century. What would be what would have been in the initiation stage with D Day? Yeah, and, and that's a great question, and and that's true. This is the initiation with all of these things there because there are there are some things that we're trying to get out of initiation before we really move to planning, and not the least of which is this thing called a project charter, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But before we get that, because that's the output of initiation, the the tools that we're going to use are things like a a feasibility analysis and a cost-benefit analysis. And this is what, you know, people know this this language, right? They hear this language all the time. Feasibility analysis, cost-benefit analysis. But what they don't realize is that those are examples of initiation tools, not planning tools. Right, right. Because really what what we're we're trying to do in this is is saying, should we do this? Because this has got to be the checkpoint. Like, unless some of this stuff coming out... um, it makes sense. We should stop before we invade, <laughs> right? right. Like if, right. We're, if 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 Eisenhower, if they had come to the conclusion that if if we if we invaded the, that particular place at that particular moment, that that they were going to you know lose ninety percent of the army, they would say, "Well, that's okay. Yes, we we know we got to do something, but this is not it. That's not it." <laughs> so, does the feasibility study or analysis come first? The feasibility study does come first, but as from a tool perspective. But there's one other thing that I really want to talk about because it's it's oftentimes left out, and and this is good because we've only got a few minutes before the break, and this is relatively short, but I think really important. Um, and and that is that every I can't use absolutes. Most successful projects that I have ever been a part of were select were were, were linked. Well linked, I should say, were well linked to the customer's overall strategic purpose or 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 goal or or purpose of the organization in in general, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and and I think that's one of the things that initiation does. And I said that really poorly. So let me let me say state this again. Great projects are most often linked to the purpose or strategy of the organization. That's really the best way to say it. Excellent. Yep. And, oh, that makes complete and, sense. And if and and it and part of project initiation is making sure that they are. Mm-hmm. Right? Because when you establish that link, you can always go back to that link and say, This is why we're doing this, this is why we're doing this, because it's furthering your purpose, because it's furthering your strategy. And all too often that is completely left out. I think initiation oftentimes is just completely left out of most projects. It's gone. And and again, like the Excel function, there's no open paren. And then we're surprised when it doesn't work, right? So let me just quickly describe in the 90 seconds that we have left before our break the great ex- greatest example of this in my career, okay? And, 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 and that was when I was doing an, uh, a, the implementation at the, the American Foundation for Age Research. And I think I've told this story on the, the show before, but stick with me because it's a great story. Um, 
So we're and American Foundation for Age Research was was founded by Liz Taylor and some others to to, to respond to the scourge of AIDS in the, in the in the early 1980s, right? right? And I was doing the implementation, and one of the, we were trying to link this back to the, the 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 process. And I said said to the guy, I said, okay, well, what what's what's your purpose of your organization? And he said to me, our purpose is to go out of business. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Yeah. Right, which really screwed up my next question because it was how can I help you go out of business faster, <laughs> right? But ultimately, it was a it was exactly the right thing, right? Because what were we trying to do? We were trying to put in a system that would help them spend more money, not on their administrative function, which you know that's not bad to spend some money on administration. Don't get me wrong, but it's so that they could de- so that they could defer that administrative money into what? AIDS research, right? Sure. So this this project became everyone, especially on my team, because we didn't work directly for Amfar. This became our um, our own personal rallying cry and the thing that we could do to help in the fight against AIDS. Yeah. And it was extraordinarily powerful to have that linked, right? And then what I noticed, and this is like Peter Drucker, as I noticed is that, you know what? That works in for-profit organizations too. If you can link this, you know, paltry new accounting system back to the central purpose of the organization, you got a much better chance at making sure that this project is going to work. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, that is absolutely profound that initiating is not planning because I, I would imagine people conflate the two. Oh, all the time. Actually, they don't conflate it. They just usually skip it. That's the yeah, sad. Yeah, they skip it. Yeah. Well, that. Wow, this is excellent. All right. When we come back, we're going to dive into uh, deeper into this. Uh, this is great. I'm, I'm I'm really loving this. But folks, in the meantime, I'd like to remind you: we know a lot of you listen on demand. We really appreciate that. Please keep those iTunes reviews coming. We got a couple more in the last few weeks. We really appreciate that when you do it. And check out our book, The Soul of Enterprise, on Amazon.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, folks. Ed's doing proper project uh, initiation, which is I'm finding fascinating. And, and uh, you can also, by the way, follow the show at facebook.com slash ask TSOE. You can friend us there. We, we post some interesting stuff up there as well. But Ed, you were talking about how initiation is not planning, which I, which I think is a really profound insight, kind of like time is a constraint. Um, mm. <laughs> even George Gilder liked that one. Yeah. Um, but, but talk to me about the feasibility analysis. Yeah, fe- feasibility is interesting. Uh, um, you know, let me just, if, if I could, Ron, just jump back to, to, to something before we get to feasibility, just okay. briefly. Okay. Um, and, and that is, there's, there's one thing that is an input into this whole thing. Aside, there's a couple things that are, that are inputs into the process. And the, the first I mentioned is that connection to the purpose, right? The second thing is what's called the selection criteria. And this is you know, if if you read a project management book, they will go drone. I mean, I'm gonna. I talk a lot. They drone on and on and on and on about this stuff. Basically, it comes down to this: if our perceived value is more than our perceived price or perceived cost, we should do the project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> if our perceived value is less than the perceived price or cost, we shouldn't do the project. Okay. Thanks. That, okay. That makes sense. Yep. Right. <laughs> so it's really it's really just it, it, what criteria and really the question is what criteria are we using to make that decision and that's that's what actually feeds into the cost benefit but we'll get to that in just a second and the last thing that I want to state as that that's really part of this uh, input into the into the uh, project initiation is an understanding of the history and experience of both the people on the project and the organization as a whole. And this is another thing that I think often consultants, as we're outside project managers, however you want to phrase that, leave out, right? They, they don't ask enough questions about, have you ever tried to solve this problem before? And if so, what happened, right? And I mean, even as, as simple as like something with a tax return. I mean, like if, if somebody is coming to you as an accountant and, and they're switching to you, it's real important to ask. So, who is your previous accountant, and why are you switching? And what you know is because that that is I want to know the history and experience of this person. Sure. Right, and and that's why that, that's a great example of see how that's not planning. Yes. Right. I, that has absolutely nothing to do with planning. <laughs> am I wrong, Ed, to make the link back to your Standish Group statistic? You know that half the projects run over. Um, am I wrong that making the link that it's because the people involved in the projects aren't doing going through the initiation phase correctly i believe so yes i believe so because if you do if you go through proper initiation and you go through proper planning you will significantly reduce the probability that it's going to be that that much of an outlier and that's what that's what people don't do they skip it they skip skip this they short shrift planning uh, because all under the guise of well, the customer says, "Can't we just get started?" And aren't you the expert? 
Yeah, we, we've done this. It's not like they haven't been down this road a million times, so you would think they'd get better at estimating and all of that, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Well, no, but but, but because, and that, that's because they're unique, right? Yeah. It, there's actually a rationale for it. There really is. Now, what's not rational, has been my way of thinking, is letting letting the customer or prospective customer drag you along and get faked into thinking, well, yeah, I guess I am the expert. I should just know. No, you got to have this you got to have this initiation conversation, right? Uh, because because you have to learn learn about these things, especially that like I said that history and experience. And I want to know that about the individuals and, and as a group. All right, so now we can move on to your question, which is this whole idea of, of feasibility analysis. Um, then there's th- these are these are the two evaluation techniques of initiation. One is called the feasibility analysis, and the other one is called the cost benefit analysis. And they answer two distinct questions. The first question, feasibility question, just simply answers this: Can this be done? Mm-hmm. Right? Do or do we believe this can be done? I guess is probably the more precise. Do we think we can do this? Right? Is it feasible? Now, th- that's all. That's the only question. Now, uh, if you're just if you're just doing a a, a quick uh, something small, well, is it feasible for you to do a ten forty? Yes. I mean, we don't have to go much more than that, right? <laughs> I mean, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, right? So, so those are, are quick. Now, I'm sure the feasibility analysis to, you know, landing, what, what was the latest thing that NASA did? You know, that, that uh, probe that went by Pluto? I'm right. pretty sure that was not like a one-page document, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, they, that they, they did a little bit of work on their feasibility analysis. Can we do this, right? Sure. All right. And, but notice that what that leaves out. That leaves out any question and any conversation about what is the cost or benefit of this. It just says, "Can it be done?" Mm-hmm. And it purposefully eliminates and doesn't look at costs or benefits. I don't want to know that at all at this point. Right. Does that make sense? It does. Right? Make I just sense, want yeah. to know: Can we do it? Yes or no? Now, then, the next question is. What's the cost-benefit analysis? What are the costs? What are the benefits? Right, and this is you know pr- pretty pretty straightforward here. This is where we we got to have a significantly high amount of benefit greater than our anticipated cost, or we shouldn't move forward. Pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. right? Um, but but what I want to do is, I, and and this is uh, this is for you, Ron. This is for you, you and your your recovering accountanthood, right? <laughs> okay. You ready? It's this is just like forecasts or estimates or uh, the word I usually use when describing the costs and benefits is is conjecture. Mm-hmm. Right. This is with judgment. Right. That's what conjecture means. With judgment. Yep. And what I what, what what drives me nuts is sitting around doing cost benefit analysis where people are taking things out to the fourth best decimal point, <laughs> just like <laughs> precisely <laughs> wrong the, rather than yes, just for the love of Pete, just come on, let it go. You don't even have to take you know you know what accountants just you know the, to the, the to the dollar. You don't even have to go any des- any points to the to the to the right of the decimal at all. All right. I'm giving you permission on the cost-benefit analysis to not worry about anything on the right of the decimal point, right? Yep. But I, I think what's what's important here is that in a lot of ways, what and why this is important, this is sort of the inverse of the historical question that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Because what what this is, this is this is also really what what is what is your belief about the future? 
And is this where assumptions and constraints come in? Correct. Right. Actually, there's assumptions and constraints. You talk about them in the feasibility analysis a little bit. Right. Because I, I, that's really important. Right. We're making certain assumptions about the world going forward and, and constraints. What, what, what would be an example of a constraint, Ed? Time. <laughs> okay. Yep. That's a good one. What else? Time is a constraint. Cost is a constraint. We, we have no money. Okay. Well, then either you're going to do that work pro bono, right? That's a constraint. Does talent. the customer have money? Yeah. The talent. Knowledge. Yep. And then, of course, the big one, quality, right? What are the quality constraints? What are the quality expectations? And look, we just, we just want to touch on these things at a very high level here. Right, because it that is in plan in planning where we're going to get to the details of all of those things. And in that in that project uh, scope episode that we did, I talked that we talked a lot about quality. In fact, we we should we we I think we talked about then we should do an entire show on quality because it's such a great topic. Right. Yeah. I know it is. Yep. And but, so when when Eisenhower is doing D Day and he's in the feasibility analysis section, he's going, "Yes, this is possible." This is possible. We believe this is possible. The general, we, we, we have come to the conclusion where we think that the invasion of Normandy is possible. So it, the, the assumptions in there was if the weather is good, which it didn't turn out to be, right? They didn't uh, have to lay it by a day right, or something. Right. But I don't even think they got, they didn't even get there, right? They're just good. Yeah. It, that, that's, that's, that's what, that would have been way too detailed for the, the, the initiation. Okay. No, the, the, you know the const- the constraint the constraint from a time perspective on that one you know and I'm making this up right would have been okay when do we think Germany um, it, 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 all things being equal when would they invade England because mm-hmm. we know we got to do it before that right gotcha right or when when will the the will of the British people be so broken as to turn on our our own elected leaders and say let's you know give in to Hitler right mm-hmm Okay, so you've got the so, feasibility analysis. Now what? Got the feasibility and you've got the cost benefit, right? Because the cost benefit does put the dollars and cents to it, right? But again, at a very high level, sketch level, right? Just just forecast what is expected. They don't, you don't have to tick and tie everything, right? Um, but and the other, but quickly, the other thing that the, uh, the, the, the that that should take into account is that. That these the benefits are should also take into account what you can think of from an anti- intangible perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know those are the things that we we would want to to look at as well. Sure, sure, because that's part of the value, right? It's the right. intangible as well. Yeah, not just the stuff you can count. So yep. like morale or something like that. Okay. Yeah. All right, and then the last thing that we'll do, we'll do before this break is this idea of expert judgment, right? This is just, again, something that we take into to consideration. What, what are the judgments of outside experts? And this can come from peer professional groups, right? You know, this is, and, and also references. This is, you know, hey, you've got to talk to Ron about getting your taxes done by Ron. That's, that's expert judgment, and that factors in. Mm-hmm. Right. So th- these are just subjective ju- judgments. Now, what I find fascinating about the the expert judgment piece is that I can always, well, again, I got to stop with the absolutes. I can usually tell when when an organization does not have a reliable network of peers 
or or assistance because then what they do is they try to put in instead of you relying on expert judgment they try to put in measurement instead mm. Mm. right and you know what that measurement is called okay. an, it's, a, it's called an RFQ <laughs> An right? RFP. Right. Re- request for a qu- quotation or request for proposal. Ah, gotcha. Right? RFP. Okay. You know, yep. They, yep. they want to measure everything, right? They have, you know, this big, huge laundry list of questions that you've got to answer before you do the business. Yes. And that to me is a great ind- indication that they are a dysfunctional buyer. You know, I forget the physicist, Ed. It might have been Feynman, but somebody said when we don't understand something, we rely on measurement. Yeah, that's right. It's got to be fine, but that sounds exactly <laughs> fine. <laughs> All right. Well, this is great. And, folks, we uh, need to take our final break here. But uh, I would like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of uh, Ed or myself, please do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from Ed's employer, Sage. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here being educated by Ed on proper project initiation. So, Ed, where do we go from the feasibility analysis? Well, now that we've got feasibility and cost benefit done, what the the last thing that we do as part of project initiation, and it's really it's it's no it's it is the effectively the output of of initiation, and that is a document called the project charter. Okay. Okay. And and I'll put an example up for people that they can they can download and and use. Now it's it's IT related, but you know, sorry, you 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 probably for most most of you will be able to to massage it enough and make it work in your organizations. 
and it's it's only like a page and a half. It's really not long at all. But it, it to, in my thinking, it, it it's extraordinarily important because what it does is it establishes the authority and responsibility of the of the leadership of the project. Meaning, the who is the executive sponsor and who is the project manager. Mm-hmm. And it establishes those two things in equal proportion to one another or as close to equal proportion as possible. And that's one of the things that I hear a lot from professionals. And it, it, it usually goes like this. Well, we're given the responsibility, but we don't have any of the authority. Yep. Right? <laughs> and what, what, what the project charter does is it serves as a, it serves as a document to state no – that's not how things are going to work, is that if, if you want me to be responsible, I also have to have a certain amount of authority, right? So budgets and... and- yeah, but budgets, <laughs> things like that. And, 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 and this is important in IT. It's probably not as important in, like, say, accounting or the law. But, and even as to who will serve on my team, mm. right? So I can effectively... If there's, if there's somebody from the customer's organization on my project who is not pulling their weight for whatever reason, and it might be because they're just super busy with other stuff, right? I have the authority to, as the project manager, to say, no, they're not on the team anymore because I can't rely on them. Right. Right? Yep. So, but, but it has to be. Uh, it, it has to be in balance. And I think, and that's one of the, I think that the, the, important things is that we're, we're trying to establish the authority and responsibility of the leadership of the project and that in that it's the executive sponsor and the project manager mostly but it, it does address a couple of other things but let me let me talk about the the uh, executive uh, sponsor role right the, their role is to champion and mentor the project manager and they are ultimately responsible for the success or failure of the project not the project manager the sponsor. Mm-hmm sponsor right they're the ceo of project inc right, right? okay Not so the project it, manager is the chief operating officer <laughs> so like in a typical it installation crm accounting something like that who, who would normally be the executive sponsor it's it, well first of all it's always somebody who's on the customer side of the equation and it's in my opinion it should be as high up in the organization as you can possibly go so preferably the economic buyer. Economic buyer or even the economic buyer's boss, if you can, or even the CEO, if you can, or the chair of the board. I mean, I, I really feel strongly that as, if you can get the executive sponsor of your project to be as high up in the organization as is possible, that's the best thing to do. Mm, okay. Right. So that's the executive sponsor. And then the project manager is the, the person who is authorized to plan and conduct the project activities. Right, including uh, the assignment of work to potentially personnel of the customer. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's and that's what this document does. Because I one of the other things that I often hear is that, well, you know, I we give assignments to the customer and they don't do it. Well, he, yeah, <laughs> and here's why: because you haven't established yourself as the authority. Right. 
right? With the executive sponsor's support. <laughs> that, right. The especially, well, commitment, actually. Yeah, yeah, right? commitment. And, that, and, that, yeah. and that's, you know, and I've, I've told that joke on this show, too, is that, you know, that what we're looking for here from the executive sponsor is commitment, not support. And the difference between commitment and support is like bacon and eggs for breakfast. The, the, the chicken is supportive. The pig <laughs> is committed. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> like the airline pilots say the exits for, are for the passengers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, we, so, so, so we have to establish that pro- who that project manager person is. Obviously, it's going to be a pretty experienced senior person, too, correct? It should be. And, yeah, there's something we didn't talk about, which is, like, who do we pick as this project manager? And that's another mistake that people make is they put somebody in charge of the project who's, like, a moron. <laughs> no, really. I mean, I've walked in and, I, you know, I make a joke. It's like we actually get two types of project managers usually in IT, right? So this is like a, when the project manager especially is assigned at, to the customer, which – Normally is not the case. Okay, so let me take a quick step back before I tell the story. So um, my default value when going into an organization is that they are going to project manage it. Why? Because it's their project. It's their organization. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, I ended up being the project manager, and I was okay with that, but only after they said to me, we want you to project manage this. Right. Would you also suggest as a way to differentiate your pricing options? Correct. Or choices, right? We do the yes. project manager. Or you. Or the, yeah, the customer that's right. does it. Yeah. And, I'm, uh, and, I'm fine with you, and I'm fine with you doing it, right? I'm fine with you doing it, but you got to do it. You can't just say you are and not actually do it. But most of the time, what they ended up doing is they end up begging me to do it, right? <laughs> so, right. Which is great because then I never had to worry about it from a price perspective. Sure. Right? All right. So – so that that's that's really the 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 okay. So I, I said that, but here's what would typically happen when they tried to assign it internally. All right, so let's take the times where they tried to assign it internally and they didn't want us to do it. We got two different types of project managers in like almost all cases. It was in an inverse bell curve. We got either Uber Fred or Moron Fred, right? <laughs> like Uber Fred knows everything. Like Uber Fred. Has really started with this company out of high school. He hasn't taken a vacation in six years. He's been married three times, mostly because he hasn't taken a vacation in six years, <laughs> right? But he knows everything, right? They don't right. order toilet paper without Uber Fred, right? Right. But then we then the other half the time we get Moron Fred. Now Moron Fred is the nephew of the owner's right. That well, actually, more specifically, nephew of the owner's spouse. Yeah, yeah, nepotism. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and who's you know who got thrown out of the dorm because you know for having a kegger in his freshman year, right? <laughs> but now, but now suddenly he quali- he's qualified to run this IT project because you know he knows computers. Yeah, yeah, he's got a, a laptop. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, whatever. All right, but anyway, so 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 that's why we want to we want to make sure that we 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 decide it, so it's clear that somebody has the authority. Now, the last thing I'm just going to mention on this is, th- I think it's critically important that you, that this be a physical document. I know that, you know there's a lot of stuff out there. We want to save the trees, and I get that, but this is a, one of the few exceptions where I think you absolutely need a physical document that everybody's like, yes, we agree to this. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and we want to circulate this out 
because what we want to do is we want to let people know, hey, this is what's going on in this organization. The project charter should be circulated to just about everyone in the organization to let them know that even if they're not participating in the project, but to let them know mm-hmm. that, that something's going on. Sure, sure. Right. And signed by the customer, and obviously. And it's the last like- piece of advice that I'll give to people is if you're on projects right now and you are you're you're not you know that that are maybe you know a, 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 more than a month away from completion and you don't think that you have a great project charter in place take my document fill it out and give it to who you think the executive sponsor is and ask them to sign it mm. and it, it, this is a win-win proposition because there's only two result results either they sign it and you're like great now you have proper authority or they don't sign it and I'm sort of okay with that too because I'm like, okay, now I know I've got to be careful the rest of the way. That's excellent. That's so. really excellent. Plus, a great way to manage the customer's expectations as well and put everybody on notice what's going on. But next week, folks, we're going to do something interesting. Uh, it's a good week to get in trouble because next week we're going to interview three lawyers, all from Australia, David Wells from Moore's, Matthew Burgess, and uh, our Verisage Institute colleague, John Chisholm. And we're going to be talking again about the theme, The Future of the Professions, the book written by Richard and Daniel Suskin. So we're really looking forward to that, and we'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, where we'll be interviewing three lawyers from Australia to talk about the future of the professions. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com for more information, and Ed will post uh, the project charter and, and other things that he talked about today, like the feasibility analysis. And remember, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks, and have a great weekend. <laughs>